Welcome to the Barely Protestant Podcast. I am your host, Brother James, and today we are talking about the Sacrament of Holy Orders. So, quick update. This is my last year in seminary. <sighs> Time has flown. <laughs> I'm really excited about my last year of classes. I'm excited to be graduating soon. So, this fall, I am taking Hebrew 1. I'm taking a class on the Book of Romans. I'm also taking a class on apologetics, and then I'm taking another class on Greek exegesis. So um, I made a boo boo, and uh, because of that, uh, I because I didn't take my Greek exegesis class in the summer, I have to take it in the fall if I want to graduate on time. So I'm de- doing Hebrew one and Greek exegesis at the same time. Yeah, not very fun, but you know, we'll see how it goes. Pray for me, please, as I finish this chapter in my life and then move on. So on a separate note, though, our Facebook page has exploded. Just a few weeks ago, we were at something like 600, and we've about doubled now. We are in over 1,200 likes on Facebook. So if you are on Facebook, but you have not liked the page, we encourage you to do so. Uh, the name of the page is the same as the podcast. It's called Barely Protestant. And, uh, yeah, go ahead and check it out. There's also an Instagram page, but um, there's only, like, 200 people on that, and I just share some memes on it. I mean, I do that on the Facebook page anyway. But anyway, uh, on to holy orders. So, what are holy orders? Within the Catholic understanding, and remember that, that Catholic does not mean Roman Catholic. It means undivided or fullness. It's referring to the beliefs of the undivided church. So, with that understood, within the Catholic understanding of holy orders, we have what is called the threefold ministry, bishop, priest, and deacon. This is not three different offices, but one folded sort of together. This is why someone who is going to be ordained always starts as being ordained into the diaconate, into being ordained into a deacon. For instance, God willing, I will be ordained this year, The plan is to ordain me as a priest. However, before I become a priest, I have to be ordained as a deacon. Once I am ordained as a deacon, God willing, I will then be ordained as a priest. Uh, Usually the wait is about uh, a year between the two, sometimes a little less. So, Holy Orders gives an ontological change. What, what, What do we mean by the ontological change? Well, think back on the episodes of baptism. Baptism regenerates us. It makes us a new creature. In the sacrament of holy orders, we see that the recipient is changed ontologically. Changed, their being is changed. They are marked. That is, they are fundamentally changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, an encounter with the Holy Spirit will change us. When, When Jesus greets the disciples after the resurrection, in John chapter 20... Uh, This is what he says to him, in fact. Uh, We'll start with verse 21. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So this is in John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. The Holy Spirit is given to them by Christ at this, at their ordination. Now, if you'll notice... There was a certain phrase that, well, seems rather odd. 
Jesus tells the disciples, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Wait a minute. Doesn't God forgive sins? Yes, God does forgive sins. Now, this is important. While I don't want to focus too much on absolution, and, um, well, otherwise it's known as uh, the forgiveness of sins, but I do have to park here for a moment in order to explain something here. And looking back, I probably should have done absolution, uh, the sacrament of absolution before this episode. You should be able to pay attention pretty decently uh, well with this. Let's see, where was I? Uh, okay. I want to explain something a little bit about absolution here. So absolution, or the forgiveness of sins, is a sacrament. Uh, And we'll discuss that soon, like I said. Uh, So now, now I just said, though, that God forgives sins. Even though I talked about absolution, which is the priest giving uh, the forgiveness of sins. Why, then, do we see this power being granted to the disciples? Why is there this idea of the disciples being able to forgive sins if only God can? The reason is this. As people who are being marked by the Holy Spirit, they're being changed. They're being brought in to share in the priesthood of Christ. What does a priest do? Priests, according to the Old Testament, and as traditionally pretty much understood, sort of, moreover, they do two things primarily. They proclaim the forgiveness of sins, and they offer the sacrifices to their God. We see that definitely within the Levitical priesthood, and this is what Christ does, but he does it perfectly. Christ forgives sins, and because Christ forgives sins, those ordained share in that priestly function, as well as offering the sacrifices. Uh, you know, Like I said, the same is true with communion, uh, the Eucharist. So we look at the book of, uh, or I'm sorry, the book of uh, Hebrews, Hebrews demonstrates that Jesus is our priest and the sacrifice. That the body and blood of Christ, the Eucharist, it teaches that it cleanses us from all unrighteousness. All throughout Hebrews, especially in chapters 9 and 10, we see this continual referral to Jesus as our one priest and how he has offered the perfect sacrifice to the Father, his body and his blood. The Old Testament priests were supposed to do these two things, albeit in a very incomplete way. They were supposed to forgive sins, and they were supposed to offer the sacrifices. Now, this is important. Remember how we spoke about clergy sharing in the priesthood of of Jesus? This should not be a controversial position for two reasons. But a lot of people don't like the idea that we have clergy who sort of separately, distinctly share in this priesthood. Uh, Before that, though, I want to explain why some people might find that controversial. So in the book of Hebrews, we see that the New Covenant, which is what we are in now with Christ, uh, that New Covenant is better than the Old Covenant. This is what Hebrews 7, 22-25 says when comparing the Old Covenant or the Old System with Jesus. There were many priests under the Old System, For death prevented them from remaining in office. But Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore he is able, once and forever, to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. So, a lot of modern evangelicals will look at this and state that, well, the New Covenant cannot have priests apart from Christ because of this verse. They see that the Old Covenant had a lot of priests, 
and that Jesus is now our great single high priest. Makes sense. Uh, this this might sound surprising, but I, I basically agree with him on this. Well, then why am I part of a tradition that has priests? So here come those two reasons, and I've already sort of hinted at them both before. The first reason is that every Christian tradition holds to an understanding of there being, in a sense, multiple priests. So there is what is known as the priesthood of all believers. We see this in passages like 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But if there's only one priest, though, Jesus himself, then why are we all called priests here? There's a simple answer to this. This talk of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, you know, a holy and uh, a holy nation, that actually harkens back to the Old Testament. In Exodus 19, we see God referring to the children of Israel, who were just brought out of Egypt, in this way. Look at verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It is interesting to note that the children of Israel had a priesthood. In fact, it's mentioned just a few verses later, I think verse 22 or so. Um, but they were also called a kingdom of priests. So they had the Levitical priesthood. But they also had the priesthood of all the believers, all of the children of Israel. More on that in a second. For now, it's important to see that the Old and New Testaments do have this understanding that every Christian is, at least in some sense, a priest. So that blows away this idea that, you know, you can't have other priests because Jesus is the one priest. Uh, so I, I want to summarize this point here. The, the New Testament clearly teaches the priesthood of all believers. I've not met anyone who argues otherwise. Most evangelicals I know actually do argue this as a point against there being clerical priests. So, to argue that we can't have priests because Jesus is our only priest, while at the same time arguing that everyone is a priest, is, well, well, not a great argument. Um, it doesn't make sense to me. So this brings me to my second point. But I do need to make a distinction here. So so far we have talked about three categories. First one, Jesus as the high priest. Second one, the priesthood of all believers. And finally, what I'm going to call the sacerdotal priesthood. The first two, every Christian believes. Every Christian believes that Jesus is the high priest and that we have a priesthood of all believers. Okay? There is no controversy there. It is that final one, that sacerdotal priesthood, that sacramental priesthood, that is the problem. And the reason it is generally a problem is that we see in Hebrews the one high priest, Jesus, being better than the many priests in the Levitical system. Here is the point, though. This sacerdotal New Testament priesthood, like the priesthood of all believers, is merely an extension of the priesthood of Christ. We merely participate in it as his body. We are not a separate priesthood doing our own thing, like the Levites were separate from the rest of Judaism. We are instead united to Christ's priesthood. That is why we are all priests and that is why we can have a sacerdotal priesthood within this. And we do see evidence for a sacerdotal priesthood. We see it in John chapter 20, as we already pointed out. 
We see it in the confirmation, the laying on of hands that we saw in a previous episode that was done only by the apostles. Recall that St. Philip had to get the apostles to come so that they could lay hands on the believers. St. Philip could not do it himself. He was just a deacon. Uh, we see Jesus teaching only the apostles the Last Supper, waiting even for Judas to leave before commencing it. Uh, St. Paul is the one who teaches the Last Supper in 1 Corinthians. As well, the tradition of the Church has consistently been that only priests can consecrate the Eucharist. Um, and we see an indication of this in the Epistle to the Romans. St. Paul writes in chapter 15, verses 15 through 16, But on some points... I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Likewise, we read in 1 Corinthians 4.1, uh, this is again St. Paul, this is how one should regard us, that is, Saints Paul and, and Apollos, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That word mystery there is where we get the word sacrament from. A sacerdotal priesthood, by the way, for clarification, is simply saying that only the priests administer these sacraments. Lay people cannot do it. And again, we've seen in Scripture that they are the only ones given these responsibilities by Christ. In the Old Testament, the Levitical priesthood alone could pronounce the forgiveness of sins and offer the sacrifices. Today, the sacerdotal priesthood, the sacramental priesthood found in Christ, absolves sins and offers the sacrifice of Christ, not by their power in any way, but only by participating in the priesthood that Christ has. So, to sum up my, my second point, the sacerdotal priesthood, like the priesthood of all believers, is simply an extension of the priesthood of Christ. In doing this, we are all understanding that it is not our powers, but the power of Christ being administered through the sacraments. Christ forgives sins and offers himself as the sacrifice. Priests share in that. Remember that Jesus says in John 20, Forgive sins and they will be forgiven. Remit them and they will be remitted. That's more than merely proclaiming that God forgives sins. Jesus says, forgive sins, not tell people their sins are forgiven. This extends also to the sacrifice. In the Eucharist, we are joined to the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus, the offering of his body and blood. So, to close out this episode, I wanted to point to, or I wanted to close this with three different collects. I couldn't decide which one, but because we are talking about the threefold ministry of holy orders, I figured doing each collect from the 1928 Book of Common Prayer for the ordination services for each, would be appropriate. So the following are the three collects. First for the deacon, second for the priest, and third for the bishop. Almighty God, who by thy divine providence has appointed diverse orders of ministry in thy church, and didst inspire thine apostles to choose into the order of deacons the first martyr, Saint Stephen, with others. Mercifully behold these thy servants now, called to the like office and administration, so replenish them with the truth of thy doctrine, and adorn them with innocency of life, that both by word and good example they may faithfully serve thee in this office, to the glory of thy name, and the edification of thy church, through the merits of our Savior Jesus Christ, 
who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, now and forever. Amen. Almighty God, giver of all good things, who by thy Holy Spirit has appointed diverse orders of ministers into thy church, mercifully behold these thy servants now called to the office of priesthood, and so replenish them with the truth of thy doctrine, and adorn them with the innocency of life, that by both word and good example they may faithfully serve thee in this office, to the glory of thy name, and the edification of thy church, through the merits of our Savior Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the same Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen. Almighty God, who by thy Son Jesus Christ didst give to thy holy apostles many excellent gifts, and didst charge them to feed thy flock, give grace, we beseech thee, to all bishops, the pastors of thy church, that they may diligently preach thy word, and duly administer the godly discipline thereof, and grant to the people that they may obediently follow the same, that all may receive the crown of everlasting glory, through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I want to keep this one a bit shorter. Uh, eventually, I do want to get into the history of sort of this understanding of the priesthood and the episcopate and uh, the diaconate as historically understood. Uh, if you like what you hear, please subscribe. Uh, give us a like on Facebook, uh, Instagram, wherever. If you have any questions, email me. Uh, links are below on the show notes. Hope you all have a good day.